Good morning. If Mima, you're listening, happy birthday. Uh, we're picking up our study in Genesis, God and Man this morning, um, after a brief hiatus for some uh, topical messages. Uh, and this morning, we're going to look at the death and funeral of Sarah, Abraham's wife, the mother of Isaac. And the title of this message, as we read Genesis chapter 23, is Bury Your Dead. Bury Your Dead. Um, I was watching a clip of, uh, or just the beginning of Monty Python the other night, and they have this scene when they're in the, uh, I guess it's the Middle Ages or the Dark Ages, and the plague is going on, and it's uh, the guy is going around, bring out your dead, bring out your dead, when there were so many people who had died. I remember watching a show recently about um, plague doctors and just uh, the, the horrificness of death that was all around that uh, so many uh, millions of people died and half or more of uh, every place people were dead um, and it's not a small thing and um, you know we still have bouts like that today of Ebola and other outbreaks you know in fact even in town there's uh, right back there there's uh, an infectious diseases uh, research lab uh, so hopefully they never have one of those blockbuster movie breakdowns when, <laughs> when something gets out and the whole town is destroyed because that'd be awesome. But sincerely, when we look at death, death is a hard thing, um, and we're truly not meant to experience it. Uh, death was first encountered in uh, the Garden of Eden when Satan said to them, did God really say you will surely die? And that day they encountered death. They encountered spiritual death, and then their bodies and the world began to groan under uh, physical death that day. Um, Just to back up, and you know, we see that Abraham and Sarah, as we see her death today, they have a storied past. If we consider all that we've read and learned through Genesis, we know that she was his half-sister, and that was okay. It wasn't some scandalous relationship back then. Um, she was barren until a very old age. Uh, she was uh, elderly and became pregnant, which was obviously a miracle. Uh, in their lifetime, she had lied a few times for Abraham. Um, uh, she almost became a part of several kings, groups of wives or concubines, but thankfully God had her hand on her and on the promise for them. <clears throat> and that even that the people that she was turned over by her uh, would-be father of faith husband were men who understood uh, the power of God and not to mess with it. And they feared God in some way. Uh, she is the one who suggested Hagar could be the vessel of promise, so she wasn't exactly perfect herself either, uh, but she was the one that God promised uh, to bring a son through, bring Isaac through, uh, as we'll get to in the next chapters. But again, you know, we're not capable of dealing with death on our own. You know, we were created for a world without it. We were created for the Garden of Eden, a perfect place, a place without pain, without sorrow, where we could walk with God every day, where uh, our jobs of taking care of the land um, and being rulers of this earth uh, wouldn't be so burdensome as they are today. Uh, but now we live in a world full of death and even a world that glorifies death and glorifies it as some magnificent choice, whether you end your own life, somehow suicide is exalted uh, in certain instances or uh, the death of children in the womb when it's a choice is exalted. Um, we also exalted in movies and pop culture, um, death metal, all these things. Um, and some of it made me more innocent than not. Uh, but really, uh, we are a culture of death. But we can learn something through death. It is not an experience where there can be no fruit that comes of it. Um, you know, if you look at a forest that burns down, um, as dangerous or as tragic it may be for people who live there, um, at least on some level, it can bring new life to that forest uh, to where uh, new life can grow. And we see that a lot of pine cones require heat to open up um, and germinate. But in this life, there are seasons of life and seasons of death. You can be sure that in this world of death, in a world that sways under the weight of sin and death, that there's going to be a season of death, that we can't avoid it, we can't escape it, 
as it says uh, in Ecclesiastes that there is no discharge from that war. Uh, as Solomon says that, you know, there's no getting out of this war. You know, this is, this is it. You're stuck in it for life. Um, in fact, you can't really be alive without comparing it to something that is dead, right? Um, in some way. But Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 2a says, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, and a time to die. That there is, we're, we're prayerfully, hopefully the baby will be healthy and happy and born in June. Um, and that's a good time to be born, a good season. But there's also seasons of death like we've experienced and our close friends have experienced. Um, and it happens all the time. You're always hearing about someone in your family or friends who's passing on. <coughs> and that doesn't mean we should make light of it. It doesn't mean that we need to take it easy. That, oh, it's just another death, not to make a big deal. It is a big deal every time someone dies. But the problem often lies in when we do not move on from it and we live in it. Uh, for example, in Matthew 8, 28 through 34, uh, when Jesus and the disciples had come to the other side, to the country of the uh, Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs. They were exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, what have, you to do with, what have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a good way off from them there was a herd of many swine feeding, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And they said to them, Go. So when they come out, they went into the herd of swine, and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. Then those who had kept them fled, and they went away to the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him from to depart from their region. You know, there's a lot to unpack there that we won't get into, but we see that the demons love being around death, and they wanted to drag the humans that they possessed into death. They brought them into the caves and to the tombs uh, to be around that graveyard. And when they were cast out, what did they do to the pigs? They slaughtered the pigs. They made the pigs run across. So if you're being beaten down and led to death, know that a God of life is not doing that to you. But where are you living? And then where are you living? And could it be because you are captive to some death in life? To some death in your life, whether it's an actual death, perhaps you just haven't been able to get over. And that's okay. You need the right person to help you get over it. Maybe it was a personal death. Maybe it was a relationship that is just dead. And no matter what you try and do, you can't revive it. Maybe it's a career or a hope or a dream for life that no matter how much you give to it, it just brings death. As much as you want it, you can't have it. And you feel dead inside. Proverbs thirteen twelve says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when desire comes, it is a tree of life. That man, uh, why we're depressed is because of death. Something has died and we can't revive it. And Ecclesiastes 7, 2 through 4 says, Better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men. All the living will take it to heart that, you know, all of us will die at some point. Sorrow is better than laughter. A lot of people don't believe that. For by the sad countenance, the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is wise to mourn. Mourning is an important part of healing because if we do not properly mourn, we cannot properly heal. If you have an infected wound or a cut, like we were watching that nature show, those Komodo dragons and they bite uh, the water buffalo, the venom and the bacteria get in that wound and it never heals and the buffalo eventually dies. But the place we must first mourn to encounter real, true healing in our life from death is at the cross of Christ. We need to mourn over our sin that caused his death. Because if we don't do that, we don't have an accurate outlook on death and on life and on eternity. And anything we do will be a temporary salve. It will be, in effect, a deception, a false hope. Like, everything is going to be all right. It might not be all right. And it definitely won't be all right if you don't deal with your eternity. Because from there, we can accurately mourn. 
When we mourn, we need to accurately mourn, especially as believers. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18 says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, those who have died, um, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, not just our hope, not just our feeling, not just our thoughts and prayers, but the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. There's a lot there, but we need to comfort each other's words. If we're believers, we're going to meet again. The Bible says that to be absent from the body as a believer is to be present with the Lord. That when we die here, that instant, you jump over this time gap from now until the end of time, and you're in eternity, and you're with Jesus. And that's hope. And that's the hope that eternal life can give. Not that they'll be able to cryo-freeze your brain and resurrect you one day alongside Walt Disney, but that you'll have eternal life, that you'll be free from this war of death. Death, the fear of it, the planning for it, the waiting for it, the counting on it, will always hold us back. It will always chain us to those catacombs in life. You know, sometimes the fear of death is good. Put on your seatbelt. You have a fear of the drivers. It's good to fear being impaled by your steering wheel. Put on the seatbelt. When you go to bungee jump, make sure you've fully thought it through. I would love to go skydiving, but I don't think I will anytime soon because the risk is not worth it. Even as safe as it is, I don't want to leave my kids fatherless because I wanted to jump out of a plane for 15 minutes. Um, maybe when they're older <laughs> and they come with me. But don't let that hold you back from following God. The fear of death is something that holds us back from following God. And I don't think we realize it, that it is actually the fear of death. And it keeps us from his promises and plans for our lives. Because listen to this. When Jesus said to another in Luke 9, 59, he says, follow me. But he said to him, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Well, that's insensitive. You just go bury your father. I mean, let someone else bury him. But he's saying to him, you know, my dad hasn't died yet. There's an inheritance. I've got things I've got to worry about. When all these other things in my life are over and dead and gone, then I can come follow you. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. If you believe in me, you are not dead anymore. You, don't not, you do not need to worry about the things of this life and the things that ultimately end in death. You need to worry about the things that are eternal and preach the kingdom of God that others might be free of death. Because the kingdom of God is not a kingdom of death. As much as we look to the cross, we need to look even more to the resurrection. Because the kingdom of God is a kingdom of life. And that's the difference between Christianity and everything else. That's the difference between the kingdom of God and of heaven and of earth. And I believe if you just take a moment to look around, it's quite obvious. Everything dies. And in fact... You got to get the new car or the new iPhone every year because they want you to believe that the one you have is dead. <laughs> but it's not dead yet. It's got a lot more life in it. And even more so to you. You're not dead yet. If you're listening to this, maybe you wish you were dead because I'm droning on. But sincerely, you're not dead yet. And God has a kingdom waiting for you. And are you ready to go from death to life? And God, this morning we pray that God, those who don't know you in this area or in our lives or even maybe listening, God, that they would come to know you. They would come to know your great and wonderful and eternal life, that, God, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by you, God, but you bring us. So, God, if we're suffering through the pain of death this morning, someone close or someone that died years ago, God, heal us, we pray. Give us strength, we pray. We can't do this on our own, and you don't expect us to. So carry us, we pray. Carry our friends and our family this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 23, and we're going to read the whole chapter this morning, but let's start out with the first two verses. 
And it says, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. So Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. The Bible says that Sarah died at 127. And that's old. I have a feeling that modern news publications and Guinness Book of World Records don't believe the Bible because I see all the time, world's oldest person ever living. And I believe it was some Japanese man and he was 110 or 14 or something crazy like that. It's amazing, right? Um, uh, but he seemed to be in good health for being that old. But from what I understand, this is the only woman's age at death recorded in the Bible. That they, When they recorded the age of death, they were marking this person's life, this person's legacy. And we see Sarah's is recorded here. Not only that she died, but her age. And that shows uh, through the biblical writer that she has vast importance in the scripture. And twice in the Bible, we're told to look, as her, look to her as a godly example. And the commentary I read uh, spoke to that we're never told to look to Mary, the mother of Jesus, that way. But we're told to look to Sarah as a godly example. And these were the years of the life of Sarah. And I have to ask, what are the years of the life of you and I? I'm 37, going to be 38 this year. Um, clock keeps ticking up. I keep saying I'm old. And my daughter goes, you're not old. And Mia goes, you're not old. When you have gray hair like Pap. <laughs> um, but I'm getting older, feeling older. But what will the years of my life be? And what have they been to this point? And maybe it's a midlife crisis, you know, even though I don't know how old I'll be when I die, maybe 127. And I'll credit it to all the diet soda. And that's why I lived. It preserved me. But I wonder, man, what impact has my life made? Has it been worth it or has it been wasted? And Psalm 90 verse 12 says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That man... We can't be wise if we're not realizing that one day we're going to die. Not that we're dwelling on it all the time, but we realize that our life is limited, it's short, and it'll soon be over. Even if it's another 40 years, it's really not a long time. But it says that she dies in Hebron, and that's a place that still exists today. It's west of the Dead Sea. It's south of Jerusalem by a little bit. So it's right smack dab in ancient Canaan, uh, or Cana, and in modern Israel. But it says that Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. We know if you're familiar with uh, Middle East culture at all, I'm only slightly familiar with it through the scripture and other, other touch points. But there's this cultural mourning, this weeping, where you even hired people back in the day to come be professional mourners. And they wail and they do that thing with their voices where they, you know, ululate, I think that's what it's called. Um, but they put on this big show, this big weeping and mourning, especially for someone who's very important, um, because death is a big deal. We see this even in the scriptures when uh, the little girl dies and Jesus comes to heal her, that he puts the mourners out of the house. I believe that's it. Uh, but he puts them out of the house. You know, we don't need all this fanfare. We need to get down uh, to the healing. And we should mourn. We should mourn. And it's okay to do these things, especially if you love someone. It's okay to have a mourning season. But Abraham came to mourn for her. We think of funerals, memorial services, or as we might say, celebrations of life. Uh, as believers, perhaps we have. Uh, these are cultural differences. But they were mourning to show a great loss. And when we lose big, we should mourn big. It's okay to mourn. It's okay to feel a great loss of death because it is an immeasurable loss. No matter how short the life, no matter how long the life, no matter how much influence they had or not, any death is a big deal. And sadly, no parent, I believe, should ever have to mourn the loss of their child. We have friends who have lost a child. I have a friend who works in daycare in a major city, and there was a little boy who died only months old in his first day in daycare. Don't ask me how that happens. I've got my ideas. But especially in these tragedies that are just so senseless and we can't seem to make sense of we tend to bury the pain we tend to ignore it we try and focus on the happy side the positive side and that's good we do need to have a positive outlook in some sense in life but we need to mourn 
We need to go through that because it is a loss. And it's okay to feel that loss. It's okay to be so grieved that you can't get up and you just need to weep and cry and you don't want to get out of your sweatpants. For a, don't do that for the rest of your life. But if you need to do that for a, t- a little time period after a loss, that's okay. But you're not alone. Don't stay alone. Have your friends. Have your family. Have the Lord there for you. Let them be there for you. But we must go through it. Psalm 23, 4, we all know this scripture. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The valley of death is deep, it's dark, it's brutal, it's heavy. Sometimes it's a long, low and twisting valley in life. It's covered in shadows. It's full of pain. And it's very hard to see forward. Very hard to to look up from where you've stepped. And to look back and say, well, I was so bright two days ago. You know, when you think about a tragedy, you go, just the other day we were doing this. And now they're gone. Just the other day, everything was happy. And I had no idea this was happening. This was coming. Move forward. Look forward. Look up. Because He will deliver you from that valley of death. Spend time with God in prayer, and worship, and crying, in the Psalms, in Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Gospels, Revelation. It's good to go to the house of God. It says that Abraham came to mourn. This word came is to come, to go, to enter in, to lead, to bring, to pass. He was obviously leading the procession. He was planning the memorial, the burial, and everything else. It was his wife of his lifetime. I'm sure he truly loved her. They had a long, long life together. They came out of Ur of Chaldees. They were brought into the land. They had so many events with kings and rulers and um, just a long, full life together. And maybe this is conjecture here. You know, the commentaries don't seem to say anything. This Maybe I'm just reading into it. But I feel it's probably a good little path to kind of walk down for a minute and consider, at least for perhaps our own lives. But I wonder if perhaps he came to where she was to mourn. Perhaps they weren't together at the time of death. Maybe he was on a business trip, or maybe there was some separation there. You know, perhaps again, I'm reading too much into it, but you see all the times that he lied and had her put in these places and everything that happened with Hagar and the bitterness, and you have to wonder how good was their marriage in the end. I I hope it was good, but I just, I, I don't know. And I think at least for the sake of most human experience, if not for Abraham and Sarah, that others do experience this. You're being out of town when something happens. You know, when I travel back for work, um, you know, we're planning the next two trips a little differently than normal because I need to be back here uh, for the, in the season when the baby comes. Um, people being separated from loved ones during tragedies and during um, emergencies and rushing to get back or trying to get back or trying to call them and not knowing and. Um, You know, you never know when you're going to lose someone to death or something else. So I always say I love you. Always forgive. And never take that for granted. You go into the store, say I love you. Even if it becomes rote, say it. I'd I'd rather say it all the time and know it ad nauseum than wonder, do they know I love them? Did they know if I die that I'm not mad at them, even though I had to discipline them before I left, that I still love them? And they're not carrying that for life. But after hearing news of our friends and the loss of their child, I hugged my kids this past week, especially that night, as we prayed that this little one would live. Being grieved, obviously, for our friends, my heart broken for them, I don't know. God bless them because he, he never puts us through something we can't handle and I know that he's going to give them strength. But I don't know that I can handle that. 
and I held my kids differently. I hugged them and kissed them differently. I've looked at them differently in this past week and a half. It's heavy. But we take it for granted, the relationships in our lives. But you know what? That death can teach us. It can remind us of all the good we already have in life. Or even remind us of the good we had in life with that person that we've lost. It's good to have memorial services. It's good to look at photos, to talk about memories, to bring that up. Even though if it hurts in the beginning with your family, talk about that person you lost. Celebrate them. Mourn, but celebrate what a blessing they were. Even if you have to search for a blessing, that they just cursed you their whole life, but be thankful that you had someone in your life. Not everyone has somebody. I think of my grandparents who I barely knew, but I'm thankful that I knew them for the little bit I did as a little kid, and I look forward to seeing um, at least some of them in heaven one day. But how many of us would have regrets if someone in our life we knew died right this minute? Have we forgiven them? Have we sought their forgiveness? Have we shared the gospel to them? Have we reached out to them? But don't wait until it's too late. Make that phone call. Get in the car and make that trip. Write that letter. It's worth it. Do whatever it takes, even if it's not reciprocated. Even if you show up and knock on the door and they slam it in your face. Love one another. But he came to weep for her. To weep for her. You know, Jesus wept, right? Shortest verse in the Bible. He wept when his best friend Lazarus had died. He was sick and died. He was in the grave. He wasn't laughing. Oh, I got this covered. I'm just going to... Lazarus, come on out of there. No, Jesus was weeping. Weeping. Some might even said, Jesus, take it easy. Calm down. No, he was weeping, just like um, Samuel's mom. She was weeping so much, burdened so heavy to have a baby. that She was weeping in the temple that the priest thought she was drunk. But now God heard her prayer, and she gave birth to Samuel. If it's too late, and death has already come, whether it's a good relationship or not, weep, mourn, cry out. If death hasn't come, but they're on the path to death, or your relationship is dead, die. Uh, weep now. Cry now in prayer for them and for that relationship and see if God might resurrect it. It's never too late for God. But it can be too late for you and I. Romans 8.26 Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know that we should pray what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Hear that God himself, when we're so burdened by whatever it is, whether it's death or some other issue, man, and we can't get the words out, the Holy Spirit understands your groanings. The Holy Spirit will even give you the words or give you the groanings. And there's been such loss, such pain at times in my life when only groanings and mourning and weeping would come out. One of the times when I got saved, I don't remember what I said, but something came out and I knew God understood I knew God heard it. At times, it's even felt more intimate with God than any other word I've said to him. Because I knew he sees my heart and he knows my heart. He's the only one who can. Let's go on. Verse 3 through 6. Then Abraham stood up from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Hesed, saying, I'm a foreigner and a visitor among you. Give me property for a burial place among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, O Lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our burial places. None of us will withhold from you his burial place, that you may bury your dead. Abraham says, bury his dead out of his sight. You know, they were kind of nomadic. I don't know if they, what their tradition was, if they would have had to keep it or hold it or the cremation or if he had to carry it some way and find a place. But... You know, he needed to take care of his death now. He, he needed to, to take Sarah and put her in the ground and lay her to rest, so to speak. But he needed to be out of his sight. 
You know, we can't be looking at it every day. I mean, I, I get if you have an urn and a cremation, you hold on to it. Oh, that's, you know, so-and-so. That's, you know, that's one thing. But I think perhaps there's a healthiness to having the burial be out of sight. I mean, obviously there's a physical benefit, a uh, healthy benefit of putting your dead underground for their body decays, but also that, you know, there's not disease and other things of that nature. Uh, you know, the Jews were ritually unclean if they came near a dead body or after a funeral. But he needs to bury her in more ways than one. And he begins the dealing process here with the locals. Maybe they were invited and he got up and turned around and said, okay, you know, we need to deal with this. Or perhaps they knew that he was mourning over there and he gets up and comes and meets them and they begin to have this, this town hall meeting. And I wonder if you've ever been to a foreign land trying to buy something or haggling prices. Um, you know, there's always ways to haggle, you know. <laughs> uh, everything that's for sale, you know, I'm sure there's a way to haggle. And if they won't give it to you at a price, someone else will price match your coupon. But man, to have to deal with that, you know, the stress of buying a car at a car dealership, imagine trying to do that when you're suffering through loss. Um, but funeral costs, I looked up average funeral cost, and the result was $7,181. And that doesn't include the party. The cost of cremation uh, is $1,100. So babe, it's on record. You can cremate me. If there's a cheaper way out there, do it. If, you know, you can just put me in a dumpster and it's legal, <laughs> and that's cheapest, do it. Because I'll be back at the rapture with a new body. This body once I'm out of this body, praise the Lord. But I get, these are your dead, they're important. You want to honor them and respect them, and that's totally important. But be careful, you know. Don't want to get taken advantage of, especially... In that and it's sad that you know I'm not saying that all funeral places are I doubt it but I'm sure there are several that uh, will take advantage of you but at least these men sons of Heth are friendly enough to offer the best Abraham you've, you've got this loss you've lost your wife please uh, take our best burial plot I don't know how close he was with these guys but if you look into the culture over there Perhaps this was more of a haggle as we read this. Perhaps they're trying to get him to buy their best and make a buck off this grieving man. Oh, you know, take our best, Abraham. You know, you don't have to settle for our lowliest suite. You can have the greatest one we have, Abraham. Please come. You know, supply and demand. They've got the supply and he's in demand. Let's go on. Verse 7 through 13 says... Then Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land of the sons of Heth. And he spoke with them, saying, If it is your wish that I bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and meet me with Ephron, the son of Zohar, for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he has, which is at the end of this field. Let him give it to me at full price as property for a burial place among you. Now Ephron dwelt among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the presence of the sons of Heth, all who entered at the gate of his city, saying, No, my lord, hear me. I will give you the field that is in the cave uh, and the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of the sons of my people. I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed himself down before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will give it, please hear me. I will give you money for the field. Take it from me, and I will bury my dead there. It's interesting. He says, I wish to bury my dead out of my sight. And he says, If it is your wish that I bury my dead, so if you if he's almost giving them credit, he's saying, you know, this is what I want. But if it's your desire to let me do this, it's kind of this kind of whole deal. You know, if you really want me to to bury my dead out of my sight, let me talk to this guy. You know, he calls out the guy that he wants, uh, Ephron, the son of Zoar. Uh, he's this other foreigner that's in their land that has possession, has at least a field and a cave. And um, Abraham has his sights on this one. And so he, he implores these guys, the sons of Heth, to get this guy that they've already allowed in their presence to come meet with them and to come try and uh, buy this land from him. This place, Machpelah, there's actually a place there uh, called the Cave of the Patriarchs. You can go to Hebron today and uh, go to the site that they believe it is it. Um, it's a series of caves located in the heart of the old city of Hebron, the southern west bank. So when you hear about the news in Israel all the time, know that these are the places that these things happen. 
But Abraham asked for this land at full price. He's willing to pay whatever he needs to to bury his wife and have peace with the locals. He's not trying to lowball them. He's not trying to insult them. He's like, look, I, I need to bury my wife. I'll pay you full price. Don't worry about it. You know I have money. It's not a big deal. It's, I'm not trying to get a bargain here. Sarah's worth it to me. Having peace here is worth it to me. And I think also you wouldn't want your beloved buried somewhere you could never visit or weren't welcome. You know, you have to travel far or worse, it's crime-ridden. You can't go there or even worse, the people don't know who you are and don't want you there. So Abraham's going for the best of everything here. Again, Ephron was a Hittite. He was an outsider. You know, Abraham wasn't trying to take more land from these people. He was only going after the land that they had already given to a foreigner. He was trying to, in Abraham's way, just like he was gracious with Lot, you go where you want, I'll go where I want. He wasn't coming in there like, give me some more of your land. Uh, you begin to lose it to another outsider. But no, no, no. There's already an outsider here. He's got some land. I'll, I'll buy it from him so you guys don't lose anything in this transaction. Because if he buys the land, that becomes his land. He is now a landowner. He is now a part of this area officially, and that's a big deal. Uh, anywhere, that's a big deal. Because you, you begin to have all these other rights that go along with it. But he does this in front of everybody. He doesn't, he does it in front of everybody. He says, I give it to you. I give it to you, Ephron. Uh, you know, but the deal doesn't stop there. This is all part of the haggling. Because if he gave it to him, that would have been the end of the conversation. But it wasn't. Let's go on. And Ephron answered Abraham saying, my Lord, listen to me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? So bury your dead. And Abraham listened to Ephron. And Abraham weighed out the silver for Ephron, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, currency of the merchants. So in the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field and the cave which was in it and all the trees that were in the field, which were within all the surrounding borders, were deeded to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in at the gate of the city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah's wife in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, that is Hebron, and the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heth as property for a burial place. The commentary says, as a gesture of kindness, the selling party may offer to give the property in question to the buyer until the buyer insists on paying the price. That it was this formality of humility, of friendliness, of being the better man, of saying, no, 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 you can have it. And the other person goes, oh, no, 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 I'll, I'll give you money and I'll pay. No, no, no. It's kind of like sometimes you go out to dinner and they're like, let me get the check. They're like, no, 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 let me get the check. No, let me get the check. I don't have that problem too often. But, <laughs> but sincerely, you know, you have this like polite battle going on because maybe you both respect each other or maybe you're trying to impress them. I don't know, but that's what's going on here. And I love this because it's got personal uh, history for me. But Ephron names the price. Because I'll give it to you. But, you know, if we had to value it, it would be 400 shekels. But what is that between you and me, Abraham? You know, we're buds. We're pals. You know, you and I are both guys of stature. What's, what's 400 bucks between you and me? You know, don't worry about it. Um, and I remember joking with my uh, friend and roommate back in the day over this verse. Uh, oh, what's 400 shekels between you and I? You know, we got to lunch or get groceries and it ended up being this magical mystery dollar that ended up going back and forth between us where I owed him a dollar and he owed me a dollar. He ended up wrapping it in a Christmas gift and it fell out one year. You know, it became this joke like, oh, what's what's a dollar between you and me? You know, like if we're friends, we don't really care. But this was his way of naming the price. And if you know anything about negotiating, if you go on Craigslist or you go buy a car or you buy a house, generally you don't pay the first price that they put out there. The house is listed for $265,000. Unless there's a lot, of, a lot of competition and you want to make sure you get the house, you don't offer $265,000. You offer them something less. Try not to go too low because you don't want to insult them. That's what I hate about Craigslist is when, you know, you have a, let's say you have it listed for $200 and they say, uh, uh, how, what's your lowest, what's your lowest price? Like, uh, $200. <laughs> make me an offer. As they make me an offer and they don't make an offer. It's like, 
this is it's not how it works. I'm not just going to magically lower the price and pick some low price for you. You know, maybe I'll go uh, 190. You know, but like seriously, if it's I find it disrespectful, and maybe I just don't understand it. But you know, if someone has enough for 200, I say, well, will you take 150? Kind of, I cut the difference. I think if if maybe they'll give me 175, I'll say 150, and we'll come back in the middle. It's this whole haggling mindset. But Abraham goes, okay, 400 shekels. He goes, he gets the money that common currency among these guys. He doesn't try and make them take his American Express travelers checks. He gives them their currency, what they want at the full price and probably an overinflated price. Who knows if the fuel is really worth 400 shekels. Maybe it was only worth 200, but he was willing to do it. Because Abraham listened to Ephron and he waited out. And it's always important to listen and consider what is really being said by someone else. Just in day-to-day conversation, you know, read between the lines or listen for what's really being said, but especially in a contract, and especially if you're emotionally distraught. You know, the whole thing, you go buy a car and the dealer's like, well, so I got someone coming by at five o'clock to look at this. Well, say, good for them, you know, God bless them. And if it's for them, they'll, they can get it. You know, there's more cars. It's not the last car on earth. Don't be pressured by those things. It's because you're emotionally attached to it. Go home and consider it. Don't be so quick to sign on the line, especially when it's your life. You know, you say you're signing your life away. Well, that's, that's a big deal. The borrower servant to the lender. Be careful what contracts you sign. But Abraham was okay with this. This was a, 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 a whatever the price was, he wasn't going to haggle it. But the land was fair. It's what he wanted. It's what he desired. And he'd pay whatever it took to get it, um, especially for his wife. And we see here that it's before Mamre, or Mamre, or Mamre. But I think we see why Abraham wanted this particular piece of land. Why was this land so important to him? Genesis 13, 18. And Abraham removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron. And he built an altar unto the Lord. Genesis 14, 13. And there came one that had escaped and told Abraham the Hebrew, Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshal, the brother of Aner, and they were confederate with Abram. Genesis 18.1, And the Lord appeared to him in the plains of Mamre. And he sat in the tent of the door in the heat that day when God showed up and gave the promise of Isaac. And he tried to haggle with the Lord about uh, saving Lot. This place was a special place for Abraham. It was a spiritual place for Abraham. You can have those. God is everywhere and we can worship him in spirit and truth. We don't need to go anywhere special or make some pilgrimage to worship him. But there are special places between he and I and he and you as you, as you know him. It's a place where I first got saved. It's a place where, uh, you know, just like when I asked my wife to marry me, there's a, there's a place we did it. It was a special place for us. This was a place where he and God met on many occasions. And he even built an altar there. And if I die before the Lord's return and it's financially possible, cremate me. And if you're up for it, take a hike up Blodgett Canyon or the mountains or whatever and, or over there and just scatter my ashes. It doesn't really matter. But if anything were to happen and if you actually had to do that for me, I'm not really going to care if you don't. I'm not going to haunt you. <laughs> but... These mountains are special for me. Even if we're not here for the rest of our lives, and even if this is just a season, I don't believe it is, but it's special for me if you come, you know, uh, before I got saved and all God has done to bring us here. It's special to me, and I love the mountains. I love it. So uh, it doesn't really matter. You can put me down the drain. I don't care. I'm not going to care, especially when I'm in heaven. I'm not going to care where my earthly ash lies. But if you had to, for example, But Sarah's death was a big deal for Abraham. He was called out. He became a father of faith. The promise of a son, becoming a father, Isaac, all was with her. And he needed to mourn for her and lay her to rest right where his relationship with God was. He wanted her to be there. Every time he went to memory, he wanted to know that I'm with God and I'm with Sarah. He didn't necessarily want to see her every day or need to be reminded of her passing every day. I'm sure he would think about it. I'm sure there'd be reminders around the tent. I'm sure he'd see her special camel, whatever it was, and be reminded of her. But he wanted her to be where he was with God. Ultimately, he wanted her in heaven with him. But this is just a symbol of that. 
And so he does this legal contract in front of everyone in town. The leaders of the city used to meet in the gates and they would all know this at the time. He paid in full, again, perhaps it was an overinflated first offer, not a shekel less. Abraham was a man of good witness, a man of worth. And as Christians, we need to be good witnesses in our business too, uh, to keep our contracts, to pay the price and not be a jerk when haggling. Psalm 15.4 says, He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. And well, you know, we'll take care of it, and if it ends up hurting us in the end, We'll deal with it. Uh, it's still the land of Canaan, though. It's, not the, it's the promised land, but it still belongs to the sons of Heth and others. And it's interesting that the first bit of the promised land that got a promise to them that Abraham actually owns, physically possesses, was the burial place of his wife and the place he met with God over and over and over you know, this text emphasizes that the property was Abraham's land by deed, not only the promise of God. That this land was officially his. It was spiritually his, and because it was spiritually his, God orchestrated it. That it began, began to become physically his. That's the same way in our life. God will promise us things. We may not see them come to pass, but it may take something hard for it to, the, the promise to become true. The promise to become physically evident in our lives. Maybe even take death from someone close to us or something close to us. And it starts with dying to ourselves. We can't receive the promises of God without dying to ourselves. It says that the wicked, the, those who practice idolatry and sexual immorality and all these things cannot inherit the kingdom of God because it get, this death gets in the way of life being inherited. If you're practicing death but you claim to be of life, you have no life. Get rid of the death. Cast it aside. Bury it. If it's something important, something of value, bury it honorably. If it's not, burn it. Cast it out the sea. Get rid of it at whatever cost before it kills you. Thankfully, Sarah was a good death, if there is such a thing. It was marked by the beginning of the physical inheritance of the land because death, when handled by God, always brings about more life. It always brings about a fulfilled promise because if they've trusted in God, they're going to him. We're going to him. But if Abraham wasn't a man of faith or lost his faith when his wife died, he would have missed the next part of the promise, the land. Imagine if he turned his back on God. He probably never would have bought that land. It could have been anything else. Maybe he would have went back to Ur. Don't let it turn you around. Don't let it set you back. Let it help you be entrenched in the heavenly kingdom. Let it be a possession for you in heaven. We look forward to going to heaven even more when people we know and love and die who believe in the Lord go on to heaven. And we can hang on to that hope. Man, I know one day I'm going to see him again. I know one day. And even if we know that they haven't gone to heaven or we are unsure, it can still give us a longing for heaven. Lord, I want to be out of this life of death. I can't wait till we're in heaven and we don't have to deal with this anymore. And you've begun to inherit the promised land because the promised land is not Israel in the long run. It's a picture and it is for this time period. But the real promised land is heaven. And we want to send our inheritance ahead of us. We want to invest in the heavenly kingdom not something that where moth rust and thief can come and steal and destroy, but an inheritance incorruptible, eternal. We do that through faith. And death sometimes can cloud our vision, cloud our faith. Don't let it. Let your faith be the light in that darkness. Don't let death bury you before it's time. Don't let death have its victory over you. Because 1 Corinthians 15, 54 says, So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O hell, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. If you're laboring in faith through death with the Lord, it is not in vain. Abraham's worship of God continued in Sarah's death. He worshiped God there. He worshiped God in mourning for her and buying this land and taking hold of the promise. Whether he realized it or not, God's promise was coming to be. Again, there's no discharge from this war until we die. This war, you know, in battle, you either discharge and you go home, the war's over, or you die. But we need to bury these things. We need to bury it all for the end. Because in the very end, death itself will be cast into the lake of fire. That when Jesus returns, and brings us home, and after a thousand years, and cast the enemy in there, there's a judgment of the righteous and the wicked, that death itself is swallowed up and cast away forever. Death may feel like forever right now. Maybe for that person it is forever. But for you it doesn't have to be. For you it can just be a part of life. It only comes with Jesus. So let him carry you. God, we pray that people who are going through severe and traumatic deaths and loss you give them strength cover them show them how you weep for them that because you're broken hearted for them that death does not please you God so much so that you sent your son to die and turn your back on him that he might take death on himself for us that even though we may die once we don't have to die eternally so God I pray you bless them Care for them. Keep them and draw them near to you as you are. Let them respond to you. Let their hearts not grow hard. Let their vision not be clouded. But let them see your son in that valley. We love you, God. We trust you. Bless the rest of our day. and Help us not take those relationships for granted that you've blessed us with. We love you, God. Come soon, we pray. We look forward to that day when this war is over. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.